Welcome to Reading Between the Lines, the People's Friends story podcast in association with the Odd Fellows. Each episode, a few of us from the Friend team, along with some special guests, will delve into our archives to find a story to read, and then we'll all sit down for a wee chat about it. Make yourself a cup of tea, pull up a chair, and come join us. This episode, we'll be reading The McPeever Wrangles Over the Football Match by A.P. MacDonald. This story was originally published in The People's Friend in 1906 and is read for you by Friend Production Editor Judy Struth. Over to Judy. It was early on Saturday afternoon in a lot of places, of course, but about the Dumbarton Road in Partick in particular. Colin McPeever glanced feverishly at the clock for at least the 50th time that day and fidgeted in ratio. He was a football enthusiast and Mrs McPeever was a conscientious objector. So there was always wordy war between them before he was allowed to escape to the match. As there was no way of doing the thing secretively, He pulled on his stoutest boots with brazen ostentation and laced them with a determined air. He even fetched his overcoat in from the lobby and struggled into it in her full view. Not that she looked up once during the operation. As a final act of aggression, he donned his very latest cap of assertive pattern and sportive scoop and then he quailed for his indifference was painfully laboured when he remarked, Well then, Jean, uh, I'm going out. Mrs McPeever glanced at his obviously outgoing toggery with assumed surprise. If you hadn't tell me that, she commented ironically, I'd have concluded you were going to your bed, with your overcoat and bits on. McPeever sat doggedly down on the edge of the table to fight it out. He preferred to have his passport, her gracious permission, for his own peace of mind, but he realised that a peace of her mind was unavoidable as a preliminary. Can a man no get a breath of fresh air without being subjected to sarcasm? he demanded plaintively. Does a man need to put on his bits to breathe with? She countered austerely. I was half thinking of talking a good long country walk, he explained artlessly. You can expect me back. I'll expect you back when I see you. After the football match, you'll observe that I ken the other half of what you were thinking. You're going to talk a good long country walk, the length of Meadowside Park, ten minutes away, if you didn't attack the car. Now that you've put that into my head, Jean, placated Mr McPeever jocosely, there's no saying but what I might drop in and see the football, casual-like. I can tell you the kind of casualty it'll be like too, she informed him acidly. You'll be trampled to death someday, and maybe get your clays torn for by, wrestling with all that horde of wastrels like yourself to get jammed through the turnstiles in time for the kick-off. Ach, women, argued Colin genially. That's where the sport of the thing comes in. 
And what about yourself when the summer sails are on? My certes, talk about being the weaker vessel, which she had no intention of doing, apparently, and belonging to the gentle sex. There, ever at the forefront of the battle, you'll see Jean McPeaver grabbing at a flea-blonde blouser sick-like. Mark Doon, I suppose, fee two shillings to four and eleven three, and literally tearing it out of the clutch of a still weaker vessel than herself. Gid Siller thrown away for rubbish in the fierce joys of physical conflict and moral victory. Now, at a fitbar match, on the other hand, you get value for your money and healthy excitement without... Aye! I mind the excitement we got about your health when you took that chill on the liver watch and the cup ties. Havers, Jean, there was nae chill about it. My illness was unqualified liver, pure and simple. I traced the whole affair back to its very foot and heat at the time. Its primeval source was undoubtedly that dish of dressed tripe I swallowed to please you. I noticed at the time you left Nainot to please anybody else. But that was five long weeks afore your unqualified liver, pure and simple, cried aloud for first aid to the injured. For five solid weeks, Jean, my iron constitution, invigorated and sustained by the qualifying cup ties, grappled with the deadly effects of that tripe. Slowly but surely, the insidious poison was working in my system. Then came the black week of frost when fitbar was impossible. I missed my match and naturally succumbed in the unequal strife. Colin McPeaver. I heard you tell the doctor not to blame the fitbar, whatever he did. If he would diagnose it as some kind of stomach trouble, you would be vastly obliged to him. And... If he had to mark any references to chill and exposure, would he kindly refer to them in the original Greek or Latin so as to spare the wife's feelings? And I can further remind you that you took ill the very evening after one of the eternal cup finals. Jean Rattery, I rise to a point of order. McPeaver, who had been appalled at the foregoing unexpected disclosure of his guilt, rose from the edge of the table and sidled in the direction of the door as he made his technical correction. Time was wearing on. There's no eternity about a cup final. That deplorable fact I grieve to state, for I've often wished it had the ambrosial flavour of perpetuity. Ah, but alas, as the poet says about it, it's like the snowflake on the river, a moment seen, then lost forever. Why you go with your snowflakes, said Mrs. McPeaver scornfully. And if you get another chill on your liver with them, you can think up some poetry about dressed tripe. I'll no seek to interfere with your fitbar revels. You needn't a good wife. Ony misguided attempt to the kinds for doomed to failure. I'll do mony a thing for you, for the sake of peace. I'll defer to your inferior wisdom as long as I can defer it. I'll gee into you on maist points, if you didn't press them in. I'll cheerfully lay down my life on your account, sampling your experimental cookery and so forth. 
and as I've let you keep the purse in life, I'll no object to you turn round the bargain sales with my insurance money when I'm dead. I've even gone the length of wearing a pair of trousers you made for me with your own fair hands in our struggling days. And further than that, the love o' a man for woman canna go. But when it comes to fitbar, the door swung violently open at this moment, and Mrs. McPeever's brother William, from her native city, Dundee, burst in and finished McPeever's oration for him. When it comes to fitbar, Colin, it's up with the bonnets o' Bonnie Dundee. Will Rattray lilted the musical part of his sentence jubilantly. Had he not followed his team south for the special purpose of being exuberant about them in their league combat with Partick Thistle? Mrs McPeever welcomed him with a radiant smile, switched on at a voltage that was both delightful and surprising after her husband's diatribe. McPeever hailed his brother-in-law with equal joy. It's up with the bonnets, do you say? He chafed good-humouredly. I'm rather inclined to say it's up with them. For this day anyway, Will Rattray. They've got the jags against them, you'll mind. Whoever will ken all about it when the match is played. If you didn't look sharp and get a wa, intervened Mrs McPeever quite agreeably, notwithstanding the topic of conversation, I'm thinking the match will be played without you. I'll hear your teas ready for you when you get back. Thus generously did Jean drop the football argument, for the time being. As a matter of fact, Will, supplemented Mr McPeever discreetly, I was just kind of hovering waiting on you. I kent you wouldn't miss the match if you could win a wa. I was saying as much to Jean there. From which statement it would appear that the dialogue previously reported is, at best, fragmentary. Reading Between the Lines is proud to be sponsored by Friendship Society The Oddfellows. We recently asked some members of The Oddfellows to call in and let us know what qualities they look for in a friend and we're delighted to be able to share some of their answers. Hi, I'm Jane, an Oddfellows member from Alton. For me, a friend is someone who makes me smile and makes me feel better about myself. Hi, this is Denise, an Oddfellows member from the Wirral. A friend is, is somebody who's got a lovely soft shoulder to cry on and who shares in your sorrow or happiness. Hello, my name is Keith and I'm a member of the Richmond, Surrey branch of the Oddfellows. A friend is one who will give you a hug during difficult times. True friendships provide us with memories that we cherish for a lifetime. They help us to grow and become better people. They help us to make a better society. For over 200 years, the Oddfellows has helped its members forge friendships and offered help in times of need. So why not give them a call today on 0800 028 1810 for a free information pack or visit oddfellows.co.uk to find your nearest branch. Everyone's welcome.
And joining me now to discuss that story is Judy, our production editor here at The Friend, Friend Poetry Editor Abby, and Barry Sullivan, who is Assistant Archivist with DC Thompson. Hello, everyone. Hello. Hello. Hi. So, what did we think of that one then? The the escape to the football match, something which I presume a, a large number of men over hundreds of years have experienced, or at least attempted. It was just like Saturday afternoon in my house, to be perfectly <laughs> honest with you. <laughs> which which side are you on? <laughs> are you the one standing over the door? I suppose it just seems like in a lot of ways that the, the sort of men escaping to get away to be with their friends and do what, what they want to do of a Saturday afternoon. And for some reason, the women are always portrayed as trying to stop them doing that. But I think this was done in quite a funny way. Would you be the opposite? You would be trying to get them out the door? Absolutely. I've never <laughs> understood that. <laughs> <laughs> what do you mean you're not going? Get out the house. How else do you get the remote control to yourself? Yeah. <laughs> There is a, a bit of that, I guess, that it's, uh, I think if the story weren't quite so funny, you might worry that it's one of those stories where the, the woman is kind of this shrew who's always in his ear. Yeah. yeah. But because the, the dialogue between the two characters is so good and it's all done with such humor that you, you kind of don't really mind that. Mm -hmm. It's like they're both enjoying it. You know, they're, they're enjoying the sort of banter and the, the sort of slanging match, if you like. Yeah, I thought that they were, I thought that they were both enjoying it. And I thought that she was kind of being a bit cheeky with it and trying to see how long she could keep him in the house when she knew that he wanted to leave. <laughs> I know it's all, it's not like he's trying to appease her. It's like they're winding each other up. And that, I think that's what's so funny about it. Yeah. That's why this story works so well. I mean, when I read this, my first my first inclination was that this, it read like a match report. <laughs> it starts with Colin pulling on his boots and then there is this back and forth. It's like a, a evenly matched game. I would think almost more in her favour. Uh -huh. But then you get all these allusions to war and battle and combat, much the same way as you get in football reports. Uh, and there's this constant back and forth. And just when you think maybe she's going to have the upper hand, he brings on the sub, the super sub to save <laughs> yeah. the day, and Will Ratley walks through the door, and it just—that's what it came across to me as a, as a sort of match report. Absolutely, and again, it's just—it's just really about this one little incident. It's not a story as such. There's not really a plot as such. It's just this one little incident, and but it's gone into so completely and in such a lot of depth. Mm -hmm. It feels like a comedy sketch. Yeah, that's exactly what it's like. What I love is the fact that it, it's, it's not even a proper story. It's not even a tale. It's not even been told properly because <laughs> right at the very end, he pulls the rug out from under the readers and this kind of idea that this is... You know, this has all been an illusion or imaginary and uh, not, not everything's been covered because, you know, this is, yeah. uh, what's it he says right at the very end? A fragmentary. Yeah. I think is what he A can. fragmentary account. And to me, that that plays beautifully into the, sort of the whole sporting metaphor because if you've, you know, if you come back from a football match with your friends or whoever uh, and you're talking about the game, it's completely subjective irrespective of how many goals are going past your side how utterly thumped they've been it's always you know if we'd got that free kick yeah it would have changed the entire outcome yeah it's always if we'd done that or if they hadn't done that we'd have and it's completely subjective and i love the fact he stuck that in it just it made it for me actually i like as well that they say um the the brother-in-law is from dundee and he comes in with the up with the bonnets yes very pleasing to those of us who live in the in the hometown. 
well, I wondered about this. So um, as is my want, I headed on to the British newspaper archive to have a wee look to see to see what the encounters between Party Thistle and Dundee FC had been like round about that time. Uh-huh. And it has to be said that they sound like very dour affairs. <laughs> um, poorly attended, miserably cold, um, and actually <laughs> the, the chill that they referred to at one point could have been from the, the postponed or cancelled match because of fog a couple of years before um and it really is um what does it say small crowds are the norm as the team are not considered a big draw doing the water so (laughs) dundee don't really prosper there so i wondered if that was just to add a bit of misery to his afternoon (laughs) (laughs) nothing really changes then from 1907 till now (laughs) absolutely not (laughs) can i tell you one of the best things i found out about uh, on my sort of my travels, just uh, looking for a bit of contextual stuff. Um, so the, the playing at Meadowside, and I found something on, uh, what's it called? Glasgow Glasgow Punter Blogspot. And they did a really detailed account of how many grounds Partick Thistle had had in their short history. But they were in a place called Meadowside at this point in time. And apparently it used to be an old shipyard. And uh, the writer speculates, maybe this explains why two boats were allegedly required to retrieve stray balls from the climate of matches. <laughs> That's fantastic. I absolutely love that. I love how it was Partick Thistle and not, you know, some of the bigger clubs, which presumably still existed whenever this was set. Well, in these days, I mean, Partick Thistle is kind of seen as it's a shorthand to neutrality. Uh-huh. If you want to set something in Glasgow, and not offend certain aspects. You have your protagonist support party thistle. Yeah. I don't know, maybe that's outmoded now. I have to say that I am definitely on the side of Mrs. McPeaver when she is described as a conscientious objector. <laughs> so I actually don't really know much about football at all. <laughs> yeah, I think I think quite often with the the women of the sort of football fans, it's not even the game you object to particularly, it's just the principle of the whole thing. <laughs> ah, finally, that makes sense. <laughs> the misogyny within this is lighthearted and it is, it is funny because at no point do you think Jean McPeaver can't handle herself. Exactly. She gives as good as she gets, in fact, if not better. I think he was behind on points uh, before the super sub came in. <laughs> Um, and it is interesting that a couple of the McDonald's stories we've looked at has seen Colin trying to escape to a sort of male-dominated space. Yeah. And I don't think she's had any real objections. It's all been quite light-hearted. I think he's just she's wanted to make him work for this. Yeah, I think that's exactly right. That side, that side of things, it got me wondering. And again, I had another wee look around the British newspaper archive. And at this time... There was a, a magazine or paper called Scottish Referee. I can just give you a flavour of how male-dominated this space was. Um, and I don't think, you know, I don't think they dare say this to Jean McPeaver, but um, there was one piece of correspondence that came in. And this is in 1906, in December 1906. And it says, should women think? <laughs> <laughs> Sir, it seems to me that women should not be obliged to think. They have other and I think more important, work to do for the state. And that was signed off by a John Smith, and I don't believe that for a minute. No. I think that was a supreme act of cowardice. That was just trolling of its day, that's all that was. <laughs> I think it was, I think it was. Um, I could I could elaborate, I could give you the Scottish referee's list of types of wives, but I might, that might be a bit too far. <laughs> go on, I want to see what kind I am. Oh dear, no, no, listen, we, we want this podcast to go for a while, we don't want it to be cancelled after... 
episode, whatever. <laughs> but what I, I liked about this was I just I, I kept the McPeevers in mind and I thought there's absolutely no way, even if you think that one of these criteria fit Jean, Jean McPeever, there is no way you'd say it to her face. <laughs> So according to this article, and this is just a little bit later, this is from 1911, there are, I think, 12 types of wives. The nagger, the highbrow, the hugger, the gadder, the fretter, the clothes horse, the queen, dominator, oh dear. <laughs> homer, doubter, the good sport, and the most horrible, the tombstoner. Oh no. That's awful. What on earth is that? Uh, well, I'm glad you asked. Um, in, basically, it's, it's in re- reference to invalids. Oh, I see. The tombstoner. Isn't that horrible? That really is. That's not a very nice way to put it. So I, I, I did wonder which of these would Jean McPeeve... I, I, I'm reluctant to, to sign one of these because I don't think... I don't, I don't know if she would describe herself as any of these, quite honestly. Uh, she's... I think she's as a character too well rounded to be reduced to this. I just I think I get the impression from this that they're perfectly well matched and that they're sort of their banter and their their I, I hesitate to say fights because they're not fighting. It's just like slang and match sort of thing. It's you know it's taken on on both sides they both want to do it and it's it's just part of their existence. And it sort of brightens things up for them a bit, I think. So it's sport, basically. Yeah, yeah, it is sport. Yeah, I think the the language really backs that up in the story because there's stuff that you've mentioned before, Barry, about how it's all kind of martial language. It's like a final act of aggression and she's a conscientious objector and all that sort of stuff. It's like they've kind of got themselves wound up deliberately for this confrontation, Mm -hmm. for want of a better word. Um, so it's it's done in the knowledge that they're mucking about, basically. But it's all it is. It's all about scoring points. There's no insults flying, really. There's no derogatory comments. It's all just trying to get one up on each other, which is fun. <laughs> well, she, so maybe maybe Jean is the good sport. Maybe that's maybe that's her, uh, her designation. I don't know. This list sounded an awful lot like a list of. Sports utility vehicles. <laughs> <laughs> I love the, the sign-off for this particular article, if you can call it that, is married men, which is yours, name your poison. Oh, I see. <laughs> I could name their poison, I think. <laughs> Half an hour in a room with some of these guys. <laughs> this vignette-style stuff, the, the kind of stuff that isn't really a story but is very humorously written, would be up against... In, in the magazine, it would be beside stories that were quite a lot more serious than perhaps we would probably publish in the magazine today. Mm-hmm. When I was looking through all the, the stuff in the archives, I was finding quite a lot of stories that covered very serious subject matter. Um, and then you'd get something like this, which is almost sort of like a humorous palate cleanser. Yeah, because I mean, it is, it is like um, the TV of the day, isn't it? So you've, you're going from your sort of heavy costume dramas, if you like, to the the more light-hearted. Yeah, it's like watching a dark crime show and then switching over to like a quick comedy before bed. <laughs> I really want to get to sleep tonight. What else is on? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I like to think as well, I mean, at that point in time, um, People's Friend wasn't especially just looked on, upon as a, a women's magazine. It was becoming more so and that, that change became sort of more 
fully realised after the war, but at that time it was a family magazine, mm-hmm. and I like to think that you know um, everyone in the household will have enjoyed this, yes. or at least will have seen a little bit of themselves in it enough to enjoy it. Mm-hmm. You could see them sort of s- sitting round of an evening, and the whole family having you know a bit of fun with this just for ten minutes or however long it takes for someone maybe to read it out to them. It's funny how universal it is. It feels like it could be relatable now, like as much as it was then. I definitely feel like I know a few couples that would fit the <laughs> that kind of dynamic. Definitely. I'm in one. <laughs> <laughs> that was a brave move. I think we better wrap it up there in case she comes in and hears me recording this. Yeah. <laughs> those allusions to conflict come back to bite. <laughs> if you were listening last time around, you'll know that it's time for us to give a rating to that story that we read. So what do we think of this story? The scale is out of 10, but uh, if any of you guys have listened to the episode from last time, you'll know that Annie S. Swan's Her Promise Broken was receiving fairly solid scores of um, seven, seven and a half. And Annie is a, a people's friend rock star. I'm not, I'm not trying to influence your scores, but... It feels like you are. <laughs> <laughs> so Barry, we'll come to you first then. What did you think of that story, if you could give it a number? Well, I mean, if Annie's getting seven, this has got to be a solid nine. Oh, I see. This is a cracking story. It's, it's got it has so much in it just for for such a short story, um, and I love the ending as well. This idea that it was a bit of a fractured narrative. Yeah, I'm going to give it nine. Very good, and also because probably it's a story published in the Friend about football, which must be few and far between. Nine and a half, then. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, no. You're right. You're right. It is such. It's, it is such an anomaly, yeah. No, I'm going to stick with my nine. Excellent. Uh, Judy, what do you think? Well, I love this as well. It's so tight. There's not a spear word. And I loved the the opening sentence. It's, it's just full humour and so well observed. So I am going with nine also. Ooh, consistency. Mm-hmm. Take that, Annie. <laughs> <laughs> I've, I've always felt she was overrated. Don't tell Angela. <laughs> And Abby, what do you reckon? Um, yeah, I mean, I've gone for a high number as well. I think the characters are great. The dialogue's amazing. And like Judy said, there's not a word out of place. So um, I've actually given it an eight. Very good. Wow. So a bit lower than everyone else, but... Still strong? Yeah. In fact, all stronger than Annie, but uh, never mind. We didn't have anybody from the fiction team last week, so... I don't know if that means that we have to give greater weighting to your scores. (laughs) No pressure. (laughs) Because ultimately the winner of this long-running contest will um, be published in the magazine. Mm -hmm. So if you give high scores to things and they wind up in the magazine and no one likes it, it will come back to you. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I am the newest member of the fiction team, so maybe it shouldn't be weighted too much in my (laughs) favour. No, that means you get the blame of all of this stuff. Yeah, (laughs) that's how it works. Is that, is that only because you don't have an intern to blame? Is that what's going on? <laughs> Correct. We, we could. I mean, we haven't been back to the office. There, there could be an intern wandering around there for all we know. <laughs> for the last 18 <laughs> months. That's a, that is a weird thought. That would, uh, that would make a good story. <laughs> <laughs> Who's doing the next story starter on the website? Mine is at the end of October, so maybe that'll be mine. <laughs> <laughs> That's it for this episode. So uh, my thanks to Abby and Barney for joining us. Um, to Judy for her lovely reading and thanks to you at home as well for listening and until this wee group of friends gets together again for another story 
from the friend to you. Cheerio. Thanks again for joining us for this episode of Reading Between the Lines. Subscribe in your podcast app today so you don't miss our next story, and check our previous episodes for more from the Friend Archives. We'd be delighted if you were to recommend this podcast to your friends. If you don't already get The People's Friend, because you listen to Reading Between the Lines, you can now get your first 13 issues for just £6. And that special offer is available until May 31st, 2022. Check the episode notes for details and terms. And for more from The People's Friend, visit thepeoplesfriend.co.uk or find us on Facebook and Twitter. Haste you back. There's a dainty little journal that is read both far and near. It has had a host of rivals, still it stands without a peer. It is bright and entertaining from the first page to the end, and is known to its admirers as the dear old people's friend. A charming little journal is the friend. Of good things it is such a happy blend That to read it at your leisure Is a pleasure without measure The friend to friends in trouble recommend They won't be happy till they get the friend